and in. Tomorrow they're going to put a permanent, not a stent, uh, pacemaker. Tomorrow they're going to put a permanent pacemaker in his heart. Um, and uh, evidently his heart is weakened and is not able to keep him alive. Uh, but through uh, the technology and the medical knowledge we have, uh, they are keeping him going and uh, plan to send him home back to Texas uh, in about the middle of the week. So I want you to pray for Irvin J. Marshall. He is uh, um, original elder and board of directors of our church. Uh, wonderful man of God. I couldn't have a better father-in-law. His girls love him dearly, idolize him. and um, So you can imagine the frame of mind they've been in the last couple of days. Um, I'm asking God to bring him home and give him some more good time. Uh, he's been doing fairly well. He can't hear, so he kind of lives in his own world. But uh, other than that, was doing well. But I think his 91-and-a-half-year-old heart is uh, just uh, tired. And so um, uh, he's a World War II vet, and not many of those left. So he's a hero in spiritually and uh, an American hero as well. So be sure and pray for uh, Irvin J. Marshall. Uh -huh. And maybe we'll see him back here in a little while, sitting here worshiping with us again. So please uh, remember that. Um, <clears throat> Next Sunday, um, Pastor Mike Hayes and Kathy will be with us. They haven't been with us now in uh, close to two years. And I'm looking forward to hosting them. Uh, he'll bring a very strong and powerful word for us next Sunday. I'm going to ask you to make a special effort to be here. Uh, I just know that uh, this service is ordained of the Lord. Um, we worked it up yesterday on the phone, just feeling like it was time for His voice to be here and uh, for God to touch us in a special and a profound way. So will you make a special effort to be here? If you're watching online, thank you for being with us today. I hope that you'll be here physically next Sunday. Pastor Mike Hayes will be here, and I'm expecting a, a real word from the Lord. I, I, you know, it, beyond being a, a lifelong friend, um, they actually introduced Renee and I. Um, before, when she was in Mississippi, I was in Texas, so... They made the connection. We go way back. Um, he's a spiritual covering apostolic voice over this church. Um, speaks very directly to us and oversees our ministry. So not just another speaker, but someone uh, with a word for us. So next Sunday, make every effort to be here um, and be spiritually ready to hear a word from the Lord. Okay? If you're a guest today, um, we'd like for you to take a moment to uh, read our guest brochure. On the last card is a place for your name and address, a connection card. Please fill that out and uh, leave it on your seat, if you will. And uh, we have our way of connecting with you and let you know about things coming up real soon. Thank you for being here. I always go to the foyer right at the end of service and try to uh, connect with our guests. Give me a chance to get there so that I can meet you. Can you say amen? All right. Are you ready to uh, study the scripture today? Okay. How many of you brought your Bibles? If you got a phone, you got to have a Bible, right? All you got to have is a phone, you got a Bible. So uh, you're ready to go. Um, we're going to John chapter 12, verses 23 to 25. I've been talking to you about God's investors and how that God entrusts us with 
time, talents, abilities, opportunities. And he expects us to make investments of our time and abilities into his kingdom, into ourselves, and into others. We're God's investors. Now, last Sunday, I talked to you about the seed principle, which illustrates the investment principle in that a seed is planted in the ground, it dies, and over a period of time germinates, and then it brings forth a harvest. And so a seed is one form of the earth's investment and illustrates how that when we sow thoughts, words, deeds, small increments of time and activity, that these seeds grow and impact our future. And what starts out very small and maybe seemingly insignificant becomes quite large in abundance in its harvest. That's the investment principle. So we need to be very intentional about our words, our thoughts, and our deeds because each one of them have ramifications to our future. Now today I want to continue in that line of teaching from the life of Jesus Christ. Just prior to his crucifixion, he said to his disciples, in essence, my life is a seed that is about to be planted through my death. So he likened his life to a seed that would be planted, but ultimately would bring forth a tremendous harvest and a great blessing to the nations. So Jesus said, my life is a seed. In John 12, 23, Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified, speaking of his death. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will produce much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So first of all, he says, my life is a seed, and I'm going to be glorified, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die, but it's going to be like sowing a single seed in the ground, that after a while, it will begin to sprout up, come back to life, speaking of his resurrection, and then it will bear much fruit and make a huge impact. So he's just saying that his life is a seed that he is about to plant. Then he says to all of us, if a man loves his life, he'll lose it. But if he hates his life in this world, he'll gain life eternal. This is strong language. It's a Hebrew idiom. And basically, he is using the word hate in a sense that if we love our life as we want it to be, if we love and cherish our life as we want to live it, if we pursue life on our own terms and our own basis, inevitably we're going to lose it. Now that doesn't mean you're going to die as much as it means that when whatever you're pursuing will be lost and it will not work out like you hoped. But on the other hand, if anyone follows Christ, loves Christ, 
does his will in life, they will find their life and find it for all of eternity. This is, in essence, what Jesus was speaking of in these verses. Everybody wants a better life. I don't know anybody that doesn't want a better life. I'm convinced that Jesus offers the best life that I could live. People grow into adulthood and they step into careers and educational fields and things of those natures. They're choosing a a career, a direction that they feel like is going to give them their best life. But the first choice is Jesus. I believe the best life that I could possibly live on this planet is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You may look around and see others that seem to do well without Him, but oftentimes what you see on the surface is not what is inside. And sometimes people achieve, accomplish, and accumulate, but there's an emptiness that only the Lord can fill. So I live for the Lord today because I'm absolutely convinced that He offers me the very best life I could possibly live. Satan offers a life as well. He makes it shine and glitter and sparkle with all kind of promises. But it never works out like he plans. There's enough of us here today to prove emphatically that when you take the devil's offer, When you are enticed and tempted by Satan and go down his roads, it never works out like he plans. Satan is a lot of evil things, but at the core of his being, he is a liar. And he uses lies to make people think that he has their best life waiting for them. But it always ends up a a train wreck. So the first thing we should do is give our life to Christ And then dream big. I believe that sometimes we get that reversed. We teach and encourage people to dream big. And so they dream things they want to do and a life they want to live, places they want to go and things they want to accomplish and accumulate. But first, give your life to Christ and then dream big. Because if you dream before giving your life to Him, you may dream of things that are empty You may dream of things that do not provide the eternal value that you really, really need and hope for. So give your life to Christ and then dream big in that context. You see, I believe that God will give us the desires of our heart according to the Scripture. He will give us what we desire. But our desires have to be sanctified. Because as a human being, we are prone to sin and selfishness. We're prone to self-destruction. So we need to go to God first and say, Father, give me the desires that you want to have. And from those desires, we grow the biggest dreams and the hope of the best life we could possibly live. But give your life to Christ first and then dream big. Everybody wants to be a better person. They're good people and other people in the world, but everybody is wanting to be a better person. I've never talked to a person in my life that wanted to be a worse person. I don't know anybody that's not trying to be a better person. Some of them are not making much progress, but we give them credit for at least trying, right? 
I believe that Jesus is all about helping me be the best person I can be. Uh, He's not against me. He's for me. He's not angry with me. He loves me. He's not trying to snuff me out. He's trying to lift me up. And so when I go to him with my imperfections, he isn't quick to bring judgment and accusation and punishment. He's quick to bring solutions and to help me see myself in a way that I can move my life forward and I can become the person that I really want to be because I see it in him. So Jesus is on our side and throughout your life, he's trying to help you be the best person you can possibly be. Well, you may say, well, you're a Christian, but you're not so hot, you're not so good, you're certainly not perfect, and you have things going wrong in your life as well. Well, that's true. Uh, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble and tribulation. He's predicted that. He let us know to get ready for that. But I'm just convinced if I wasn't for him, I'd be a lot worse than what you see today. (laughs) Like if you see something wrong now, what if I didn't have Jesus? I'd really be in a mess, you know? So Jesus is still the best choice. So following Jesus is about becoming the very best person I can possibly be. Everybody wants to live, wants their lives to count for something. Everybody wants to feel like that there's something special about their lives that there's something that they're going to give back, and that the world is going to be a little better because of their life. I've never met the person that wanted to be meaningless, insignificant. Everybody wants to be significant on some level in some kind of a way. I believe that Jesus leads us to finding the reason for our being. He is the door that opens up and before me, and I begin to see why I was born why I came into being, and what my purpose in life really is. I just believe that there's no really success in life without significance. Success is is empty all alone until there's something significant that blesses others around you that puts something back in the world. Achievements are empty unless they contribute to others, unless they put back into the world. The fact is, it's not what I take out that counts, it's what I put in that makes my life meaningful. We're all taking things out. We're all making withdrawals from the earth and society. We're all taking withdrawals and we're all benefiting from the environment that we have. But it's not so important what I take out and attach to myself. What's important is what I'm able to give back. It's that that gives me significance. It's that that gives uh, reason to my pain, reason to any suffering that I may have. It gives reason to what I'm going through in the moment. I have to have a purpose. I have to have significance. And I believe that following Jesus is equivalent to following my divine destiny and my purpose in life. Following Jesus is equivalent to having significance in life. You know, only humans ask the question, why was I born? Animals don't ask that question. Uh, they don't ask why was I born. They, they just don't. They, they live on the, the basis of survival, right? You know, it's food and water and what I need to, to live my life. Animals have no concept of significance, of mission, of purpose. Uh, all they have 
is a sense of survival. But humans, we're animals, but we're on a different order. And the fact is, we want to know not just am I alive, but why am I alive? That I am a being, but why am I a being, and why, why am I on this planet? Only humans ask the question, survive for what? It's the why of life. God puts purpose in our life. He puts significance in our hearts. And He gives us a reason for being. It's only God that can answer the question of, why am I alive today? Somebody may ask, what is the most important thing in life? Well, if you're hungry, you're going to say food. If you're lonely, you're going to say companionship. If you're financially destitute, you're going to say money. If you're sick, you're going to say healing because that's where you are at the moment. And all of those are survival-based. It's all needs-oriented. In other words, we respond in that way because that's the most urgent, basic need that we have. But you can't live your life like a mere animal just trying to meet your own basic needs. Life has to go beyond food, shelter, clothing, companionship, etc. Because after you achieve all those things and you have them, you're still empty on the inside if you don't know why you are here at all. So it's important that we ask, answer the question, why am I here? Uh, and then see that if we answer that question right, all the other things become secondary to it. We're not just animals surviving and trying to have our needs met, but we are children of God on a mission for Him. You know, Jesus believed this. He lived this principle. Um, and He taught His disciples, do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, or where you're going to live. Don't worry about those things. Those are all survival needs. But seek first, He said, the kingdom of heaven. And then, after you do that, all these other things will be added unto you. You know, Jesus didn't have anxiety problems. I really don't believe he was stressed out, uh, and he didn't have eating disorders, and he didn't have sleeping problems like many of us have today, uh, but he was walking in a, in a state of trust in his Father. He was so micro-focused on doing the will of his Father, being obedient to his Father, that he didn't have time to worry about some of the basic needs that he had and we all have. He was saying, seek first the kingdom of God and get that straight and see how wonderfully the Father will add other things to you. He illustrates with the birds of the air. He said, look at the birds of the air. They don't worry about what they're going to eat or where they're going to sleep. Their Father takes care of them. And living for God is about living in a state of peace and trust and knowing that He's going to take care of us. But we're humans, we have needs, we have problems, and we have to contend with those problems. Jesus set the bar high, and he showed us the way, and he said, trust the Father. Seek his kingdom, do what is right, pursue the things of God, and then all these other things will be added unto you. And that's what we're reaching for. 
So if you're going through something today, maybe you're troubled about this or that, or some other need or situation in your life, you're reaching for the bar where you're going to stay focused on the things that God has given you to do, your significance, your purpose in life, and believe that God is going to add these other things to you simply because He's a provider. He is your heavenly Father. Can you say amen? amen. Jesus said, my life is like a seed. And he said, I'm going to plant it. They're going to arrest me, falsely accuse me. They're going to improperly convict me. And then they're going to crucify me, and I am going to die. But my death is going to be like a seed that's sown in the ground. It's left there to die. But after a period of time, it germinates, and it comes back to life. And so he said, after three days, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up. He said to his followers, he said, no one can take my life, I lay it down. Uh, no one can force this on me, I willingly give it to my Father. He said, I could have called 10,000 angels, I could prevent all of this from happening, but I have submitted my will to the Father, I have given myself to Him, and I planting my life like a seed in the ground, knowing that my life is going to come back to me knowing that what I'm doing is going to be a blessing to other people and it's going to have an effect on all of eternity. Jesus said, my life is a seed that is about to die in the ground, but ultimately is going to bring forth much, much fruit. You know, as Christians, our lives must be like seeds. My life is a seed. When I came to Christ, I gave my heart and I gave my life to Him. It simply means, first of all, He's going to forgive me of my sin. He's going to take me in His arms and make me a part of His family. It means that I'm going to follow Him all the days of my life. That I would, I'm, not, I'm not going to continue to live the life I would have lived, go the direction I would have gone and done the things I would have otherwise have done. But I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And every once in a while throughout life, you see opportunities come your way. You see places and people and lifestyles, and you say, you know what? I would like to have done that. It doesn't have to be anything evil, but you just see environments. You say, you know, I can see myself doing that. I would like to have done that. I would have liked to have gone there. I would have liked to have had that life. But over and over again, you come back to the fact that you say, my life is a seed. I could live that life, but I don't choose to live that life. I could have gone that way, but I gave my life to Christ. And so ever since that moment, I've been following Him. I've been doing what I felt like He wanted me to do in life. I didn't just choose a job. I let him open a door for me to have this job. I didn't just choose a career field. I let him guide me into this career field. A lot of things happened that I didn't choose. Things happened and situations came along. But I trusted God to close and open the doors for me and to discern and to decide what would happen and not what, what would not happen in my life. My life is a seed. It belongs to Christ. I'm following him. And wherever I work, Wherever I live, however I conduct life, my life is His, and He's using me for His glory and for other people's good. Amen. You know, I think that a transition that many believers need to make is that a ministry belongs to everyone. 
Just because you're not a pastor and you don't teach from the Scripture on Sunday mornings doesn't mean what you do does not have significance and purpose that you're not called and gifted and anointed to do the things that you do. You know, I can illustrate with some of the the easier career fields. For instance, if you're in the medical field, your ministry is helping people be well, get well, stay well, and live better lives with good health. If you are an educator and you're working in that field, uh, you're there because you have a heart for other people's lives to be better. And so those are some of the easy careers, but other careers are a little bit different. If you are working in a career that is providing ultimately some of the basic needs for humanity and making other people's lives better, it is a ministry for you. You know, today our hearts are kind of overwhelmed with thoughts of my father-in-law who's laying in a hospital in Greenville, Mississippi today and heart only working about 10% of the time, mechanically being kept alive the other 90% with the, the temporary pacemaker he's got. I don't know what all that means, but it sounds scary to me to think that a man's heart's only working 10% of the time. And, um, and so I'm thinking about all of the people that brought medical knowledge, medical ability, technology to the place where they could take him into our operating room for 30 minutes install a pacemaker, and keep him alive. Maybe for a long time. I know people who've got pacemakers have been living a long time with a pacemaker, and probably somebody here today. And I think about all the people that made that technology possible. All the people that brought it to bear where that in a crisis moment, my father-in-law in 30 minutes could have a piece of technology put in his body that virtually saved his life. On Saturday, he arrested the doctor hadn't been standing there, he'd be gone, he'd be in heaven right now. But the doctor was standing there, got him going again, got him in the operation room. Just think of the ministries that came together to save that man's life and to give him some more time with his family. So you, know, you may not be, it may not be as obvious as I'm a pastor or a worship leader, as obvious as I'm a teacher or I'm a nurse or I'm a doctor. It may not quite be that obvious. You may not necessarily be working in a homeless shelter or doing other things for humanity, but the point is you're doing something and you're representing Christ in your field. And it's important that you know I am where God wants me to be now. Even if it's not forever, it's where He wants me to be now. And this may not be all I want to do or everything I want to do, but this is what He has me doing now. That's the whole ideal of being a child of God is that we humble our hearts and, and walk in obedience as best we can to Him. And He orchestrates in events of our life and He guides us to where we want to be. And we touch people personally with our personal touch. And we do things with our hands and our minds and our educations and our abilities that make other people's lives better. So I'm taking some time here today just to say that wherever you work, whatever you do, see the good you are doing for other people. See the fact that you're a kingdom plant, a child of God, and that you're where God wants you to be to represent Him at all times and to make someone else's life a little better. It could be that you're doing something of low significance with your hands. It could be that the actual product that you are creating or involved in in some way or the service you're offering may not be landslide, of, landslide importance, but it could be the people that he is sending to you desperately need to feel and experience his love. 
So it may, it's not always what you're doing with your hands. It could be what you're doing with your words through relationships. So I want to encourage you to see your life as a seed that every day you're sowing it in the kingdom of God so that it will bear fruit and be a blessing to others. Well, um, <clears throat> as a Christian, our lives are like seeds. We have to learn how to die to ourselves. Um, <clears throat> Listen to what Jesus said. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. A mature Christian has learned how to deny himself. In other words, everything in me wants to do this, but no. Every craving, every desire, everything emotional in me is wanting to do that, but no, you can't do that. In my mind, there's all kind of rationalizations and justifications and, and all kind of scenarios to make it okay, but no. So maybe the first criteria of a mature Christian is just knowing how to say no to self. You know, if you're looking for someone else to control you, someone else to police you, someone else to keep you in, in boundaries, it doesn't work that way in the kingdom. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to learn how to say no to yourself. I'm my own policeman. I'm my own boundary. I'm my own fence. I'm my own law. And I have to enforce that upon myself. So he said, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus' altar calls were different than most of mine. He said, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up a cross. Not very enticing, not, not very, you know, motivational. Uh, carry a cross, die, suffer, pay a price, live a life you're not sure is what you wanted to live. But that was his invitation. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. That's not what this culture says. This, this culture says gratify yourself. If it feels good, go with it. But Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up a cross. What does a cross mean to you and me? Well, to his followers, many of them would ultimately be crucified on a cross, but most of them would not. And as far as I know, none of us here will be crucified on a cross. But a cross has significance because it represented Christ's mission. It represented his mission in life. He would later say after he had, in his trial setting that he was... For this cause, for this reason, I came into the world. So he knew his whole life that there was a cross to bear. And every day he had to carry the cross, the knowledge that ultimately he was going to die on the cross. Ultimately, this was his mission. This is why he came. This is why he was born. This is what the will of the Father was. This is how he was going to be a blessing to hum the huma humanity. So he carried his cross. So every day there has to be this sense of mission this sense of purpose, this sense of why I was born, this is what I'm doing for God, and that's my cross. It may not be something I'm going to die on, but you're, you're going to die a thousand deaths saying no to your flesh, no to other desires that you may have, no to things that may not be evil, but you're saying no to those because you have a cross. And that cross is your mission and your purpose. And the cross does not go away when you reach a certain age, but it goes with you for a lifetime. 
So Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, take up your mission, embrace my will for your life, carry it every day, do my will, and follow me. He went on to say, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loves his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What a powerful, powerful truth. So what if a man has the best of education, the most of money, has every aspect of his life carefully and ordered, and he looks like the epitome of success by anybody's measurement, but he's lost He's not a follower of Jesus. He has not been saved, and he has no hope of eternity. Once you lose your soul, you can never get it back, and there's nothing you can exchange for it. So success is good. Having things is wonderful. We all want them. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is, am I saved? You know, I, I know that if my father-in-law goes to be with the Lord, which ultimately will, but if it happens any minute, we have the absolute assurance that one second after his last breath, he's going to be in the presence of the Lord. Not because he was a good father, not because he was a good man, but because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And many years ago, as early as 1940, he gave his heart and life to Christ and has stayed faithful to God all these years. That's what really, really counts, really counts. If a man loses his soul, how's he going to get it back or what's he going to get in exchange for his soul? The problem is too few people in our world today see themselves as truly lost. We have, we know where we are. We know where we're going. We know how to get to places we need to be. And if we don't, we have a GPS system. Just plug in the coordinates. It'll give us the most direct route there in a flash. It's amazing. So people know where they are and they know where they want to go and they know how to get there, but they're still lost. They're lost because they're searching meaningless without meaning and purpose in life. Just like an animal trying to have food and water on a survival basis meet their, their needs, but never addressing survive for what? Why was I born? What is my purpose beyond life? I want, to, I want to encourage you to make certain that you've given your life to the Lord and that you first answer that question. If you get that answer right, then all the other answers will begin to fall in place as you follow Him. Many years ago as a young boy, I laid my life on the altar. My life became a seed. And I've never picked it up and never will I. Because I know the blessing and the benefit of walking with God and uh, the benefit that he gives to me. And I wouldn't trade Jesus for anything. Growing up, there was a song some of you may recall, Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. And I hope that that's where you are in your faith today. If you want to live the very best life you can live, follow Jesus. If you want to be the very best person you can be, follow Jesus. 
If you want to live a life that really counts for something beyond your own self and those immediately around you, follow Jesus. He is the answer. He always has been, and He always will be. I'm going to ask you to close your Bibles and then bow your heads in prayer with me. Father, I thank you for the nearness that we have felt to you today for the clarity of your voice speaking to us in our hearts. Thank you for loving us, saving us from self-destruction and sin, giving us hope, purpose, and meaning in life. I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here today that's never made that personal commitment to you, started the journey of faith, I pray, Heavenly Father, that your love would embrace them, make yourself real to them, and bring them to a point of salvation. Because of your love and goodness, I ask you this in Jesus' name. If you're here today and... um, You've never given your life to the Lord. This is a great time for you to do that. My prayer partners are going to start coming now. And um, if, if you need prayer or ministry or anything, they'll be happy to pray with you. If you'd like to come back to the Lord, maybe maybe you've kind of gotten off track just a little bit. You want to get back on where you need to be, make some course adjustments, course corrections. This is a good time to do that. Any of these wonderful people standing down here with me will pray with you. Just pick one out. Uh, pick a smiling face and go to them. And uh, they'll pray with you. And you just can say a few words of, you know, I want to give my life to the Lord. Or I, I want to come back to the Lord. Or I, I need to make a correction in my life. Would you pray over me? Or Maybe there's something in your health or your finance, some need you have in your life. Our God is a good God and he'll help you if you'll ask him for help. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you're here and you need prayer for anything, as we stand, just come forward and receive prayer and ministry. Are you ready? Let's stand. If you need prayer and ministry, come forward right now. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, it doesn't matter. It's not about church membership. This is just about receiving help from the Lord. So if you're here and you want prayer for anything or someone else. Sometimes you come down and say, you know what, I have a, a friend, a loved one that needs prayer. Um, I want you to uh, stand in. I want to pray. I want to stand in for them. Then please come down. We'll be happy to pray with them. Just give us their name or whatever, and uh, we'll pray with you about them. How many of you know we, answer, we, have, we serve a God that hears and answers prayer? All right? Now, as these are praying... Join your hearts in faith with mine as I pray for my precious father-in-law. Father, I thank you for Irvin J. Marshall, for a man of faith and integrity, a true father, a true churchman. I'm asking you, Lord, to bring him back home to us and give him more time, good time, wonderful time together. Comfort the hearts of his wife and his girls. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to Keep him safe. Give him a safe trip back to Texas. Give him the right doctors and nurses and help him, Lord Jesus, to continue to live for you and function as a father in the house of God and a father to his family. 
We lift him up for you and speak life over him in Jesus' name. Now, this altar is going to remain open. If you need prayer ministry for anything, you're welcome to come forward. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. May goodness and mercy follow you. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. The Holy Spirit overshadow you. May he lead, guide, and guard you. And may you have true significance in his love. In Jesus' name, amen.